Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you, Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the first day of March 2013. And today we are reading from the Big Book on page 147, the very last paragraph that starts after reading this book. And today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Meg O, Twelve Traditions, Marietta, and then it will be Sharon, Paula, Esther, Hoodie, and Robin. And the share code for yesterday, the 28th of February, was 3992. 3992. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And now I would like to ask Meg O if she would read the 12 steps, please. Thank you, Monica. Good morning. My name is Meg O, and I am a grateful compulsive overeater in Vermont. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us, and the power to carry that out. Twelve, 
Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I thank you and I pass. Thank you, Meg. And now I'm going to ask Marietta to read the 12 traditions, please. Hi, this is Marietta, and the 12 traditions are, one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous. Each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And this is Marietta, and thank you. And I pass. Thank you, Marietta. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book and we are on page 147, the last paragraph that starts after reading this book. And I will ask Sharon to begin reading and Sharon, could you read the first two paragraphs, please? And excuse me, I was unmuting did you how which paragraphs i i know that to start it after reading this book but how many paragraphs did you say two please two okay thank yeah. you 
Thank you, Sharon. Okay. Well, this is Sharon, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Very grateful to be on the line with you this morning. After reading this book, a junior executive can go to eat to such a man and say approximately this. Look here, Ed. Do you want to stop drinking or not? You put me on the spot every time you get drunk. It isn't fair to me or to the firm. I have been learning something about alcoholism. If you are an alcoholic, you are a mighty sick man. You act like one. The firm wants to help you get over it. And if you are interested, there is a way out. If you take it, your past will be forgotten and the fact that you went away for treatment will not be mentioned but if you cannot or will not stop drinking I think you ought to resign your young executive may not agree with the contents of our book he need not and often should not show it to his alcoholic prospect and he need not and often should not show it to his alcoholic prospect but at least he will understand the problem and will no longer be misled by ordinary promises he will be able to take a position with such a man which is eminently fair and square he will have no further reason for covering up an alcoholic employee so boy there's a lot in these two paragraphs and this is uh, some good orderly direction that we see here that is been given is being given to us and that's being given to this young executive who has an alcoholic that he's dealing with and we can easily see that this could be the case that this could be one of us in our in our uh, with our face in the food or our hand in the cellophane bag, so to speak. And what the the thing that is significant is that, first of all, we see that the employer, the young executive, has been learning about alcoholism. He's been learning that we can see that there, perhaps our employee sees that we have a food addiction problem. And when we're hiding in the bathroom stalls, eating food, when we're slipping into the the uh, uh, food, excuse me, there's some distraction on the line. But when we're slipping into our, our eating area and, and eating extra food, we look around before we slip into the cafeteria to get that extra food, and we don't think anyone is seeing us. But believe me, our employer knows, our coworkers know that we're doing something that's not right, uh, even though we think that we're not being seen. And, and the other significant thing in this paragraph is he points out that we're mighty sick. We are mighty sick people. We think our food can keep us because the doctors aren't telling us that we're sick. We sometimes don't want to accept that. But our disease is we're sick, we're ill, we're showing up at work ill, and our employers need to deal with us in that way. The 
other thing that I want to point out here is in this final paragraph where it says that when we when we're dealing with when the, when the employer is dealing with the alcoholic or the food addict he doesn't necessarily have to believe in the solution but it, the final the final sentence he will have no further reason for covering up for an alcoholic employee why would that employer be covering up for the employee I, I believe that that's sometimes part of human nature to give the benefit of the doubt, but we it doesn't benefit us when other people cover up for us. It doesn't benefit us when we cover up for, for ourselves when we slip and slide and hide. And the other the and, and finally, I want to go right back up to that last the the uh, previous paragraph, but if you cannot or will not stop drinking, I think you ought to resign. Sometimes we have to do the right thing, and sometimes we're going to be called on to do the right thing. If we don't clean up our act and do the right thing with respect to our food, life is going to catch up with us, and we're, it's going to come from outside, and we're going to be forced to to do we're going to it's going to come on us life is going to push us to change and if we don't change then we're going to need to step aside because life must go on and we're being called upon to recover and we need to do everything possible we need to dive in with both feet throwing ourselves headlong into this program so that we can recover. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to share on these two paragraphs? This is Paula Mescia. Good morning, Paula. Go ahead. Good morning, Monica, and all my fellow travelers here. Um, this would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I'm going to zero in right on this line. You put me on the spot every time you get drunk. It isn't fair to me or the firm. An alcoholic's in his cups, and I love this line, is an unlovely treat. Here we see Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But that ripple effect, well, it, it doesn't hurt anybody but me. Everyone, everyone is affected. We go right to, to the doctor's opinion, and what do we see? There on the firing line, the tragedies, the despairing wives, the little children. Okay, we already did the wives. We did the spouses. We did the family afterwards. Wait. Now let's look at the other aspect of your life, your job. Your job that you go to for 6, 8, 10, 12 hours. I don't know. But this here, even there, it affects others. It affects others. But you know the confusion that reigns here. Because, see, they see, they see Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. They don't know what to believe. They don't know what to believe. They want to believe, but then they see the other action. But this man, it says it so clearly how it affects all. But what does he say after? If you are an alcoholic, you are a mighty sick man. But what's another line? And you act like one. In your sickness, you are sick. 
the firm wants to help, they want to help. And if you are interested, oh, my, may I add, if you are interested, willing, there is a way out. There is a way out. But only you can go to that way out. We can direct. We can guide. Here you even have the employer wanting to be there in assistance. They can assist you part of the way. All can. But only you can go the full way out. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on these two paragraphs? Melanie? This is Leah. Good morning, Melody, and then Melanie, and then Leah. Thank you, Monica. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon, and I like these words. I love powerful words. I just cut through all of my um, facades and my um, indecision, you know, whether I'm on the fence or not. I just love it, and it works so well with me as an addict on all fronts when I am able to get this kind of direct um, positioning from another person, another fellow. That certainly was the case for me, and... um, whether it be in the job that I was in or whether it was um, just another compulsive overeater bringing me the solution. It was very, very powerful. I cut right to the quick, and I appreciate that. What I wanted to go on with, though, is tie those words, that first paragraph, in with the second paragraph. And what I read out of this is whether or not I agree with what's in here. If I read the material, I am armored with the facts, the absolute facts, which gives me that confidence to be able to take a stand as an employer and say these words that I have to say that could be difficult. And the other part of it is is that um, I, as an addict, am very manipulative. And I believe also, as a human being, I am inclined to to be in some sort of denial or turn a blind eye to the countless times where the person didn't show up or whatever those behaviors are, whatever those antics are, and give another go of it. Just give them another go. Can you just give them another go? Okay, well, it's going to work this time. And I I can't tell you how many times I was in that position that granted that to somebody else and expected it for my behalf when I said I was really, really trying. And the knowledge backed with the evidence can cut through some of that denial and some of that blindness that happens. And I just think that's very, very powerful in these two paragraphs. The first bit that he's able to come forward with strength to say, this is where the rubber meets the road. I'm pulling no punches here. This is the end. We care about you. This is what's going on for us as a result of this, this union with you. And this person can do that because he has the facts. He doesn't have to waver anymore with that. And um, because this book talks about all kinds of things that I do as an addict, it makes it very, very clear what a slippery place I am and what a slippery person I am. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Leah, please go ahead. Thanks so much, Monica. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Yes, very strong language here in into the employers. Obviously, this junior executive is now you know, reaching out to assist the alcoholic, uh, saying, look here, Ed, do you want to stop drinking or not? And whether your name is Ed or not, or Leah or Monica or Melanie, et cetera, uh, you know, willingness is a one-person job. Do I want to get well or not? You know, because, uh, you know, other people can want us to get well. In my case, you know, uh, that old boss of mine, Mr. John Shalpak, he sat me down 
you know, he uh, offered help. He encouraged me to get assistance. I didn't want it. I didn't want it. So it doesn't matter, you know, a frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices, whether our bosses want it for us or our parents want it for us or our spouses want it for us or our children want it for us or our dear friends want it for us. The bottom line is, do you want to stop drinking or not? Do you want to stop compulsive overeating or not? Willingness is a one-person job. And, you know, sometimes it takes tremendous progression in the disease, as was my case, because it was five years later after that talk with with that boss of mine uh, where I had mustered up enough ego deflation to crawl in with tombstones in my eyes and ask for help and say, say that I was out of remedies and out of methods and I need help. So, it, it, you know, it's a choice that we have. Each one of us has that choice. Each one of us has that choice. There are two types of people that come into the rooms, those that recover and those that don't. You know who makes that choice? We do. <laughs> we do, because it's up to us whether we're going to cooperate with God's grace. God is always there. God is always available. It's whether I'm going to cooperate with his grace or not. I can choose not to be responsible and make myself more miserable by going to new levels of despair and depression, or we could seize the opportunity for a better life. And that's exactly what this question points to. It says there is a way out, and there is. Thank God. Yes, we have a disability, and by the way, it's permanent. (laughs) But at least there's a solution that can arrest this disease. You know, think of all the diseases out there that do not have a solution and do not have a way out. This disease has a way out. I came here because I did not want to die. I also came and began to recover because I did not want to live in the way I once lived because I lived in a way that was absent of any quality of life. There is a way out. Of, of that is true. That's why recovered people are living proof of that fact. And, of course, it goes on to say on page 148, but if you cannot or will not stop drinking, I thought you I, you ought to resign. And And that is absolutely, you know, the case because, you know, it is up to us. The disease takes control of the individual. We are under the influence, and we cannot perform in the way that we should perform. So if you cannot or will not stop drinking, I think you ought to resign. That last statement says if he cannot or does not want to stop, he should be discharged. We fire ourselves. We fire ourselves because the disease takes us under, and we have no opportunity and no ability to uh, be of real um real productive use. You know, that's what this employer is saying to his employee. You have an opportunity to recover. You have an opportunity to recover. Although the answers are available, sometimes, you know, covered, uh, I'm sorry, compulsive overeaters are reluctant to do anything about it. And although there are suggestions given to arrest this disease of ours and enable us to start a whole new life, People often have no enthusiasm to pursue that, and that is called the disease. 
That is where this disease differs from other diseases. What other disease is like that? If a person has cancer, they accept they have cancer. If a person has AIDS, they accept they have AIDS. If their person is blind, they accept they have they accept that they're blind and cannot see. But we who are compulsive overeaters, we do not want to accept that. Therefore, we refuse to do what we need to do. It's a personal choice. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And with that, shall we move on to the next two paragraphs, please? And Paula, would you read? This is Paula, Recovered Compulsible Reader. It boils right down to this. No man should be fired just because he is alcoholic. If he wants to stop, he should be afforded a real chance. If he cannot or does not want to stop, he should be discharged. The exceptions are few. We think this method of approach will accomplish several things. It will permit the rehabilitation of good men. At the same time, you will feel no reluctance to rid yourself of those who cannot or will not stop. Alcoholism may be causing your organization considerable damage in its waste of time, men, and reputation. We hope our suggestion will help you plug up this sometimes serious leak. We think we are sensible when we urge that you stop this waste and give your worthwhile man a chance. Well, there it is. There it is. It boils right down to this. We know when we boil something down, then you get the meat of the matter. And this is the meat of the matter. And it's so clear in every direct. If he wants to stop, if he wants to, and you'll know, you will know. He should be afforded a real chance. Give the man a chance. And we that are reading this and are recovered know the chance that we were given. We know. We also know the time that we wasted and the lives that were affected. This book covers it all. It leaves no stone unturned. Oh, not the children. Oh, yes, the children. Well, not the spouse. Oh, yes, the spouse. The friend. Friend no more. And now we come to the employer again. The employer, yes. Even there, you waste time, you waste resources, and all in the guise of, well, I'm not hurting anyone. And again, it says, if he cannot or does not want to stop. Very clear here. Well, coddle him a little bit more, scold him a little bit more, criticize him. It cannot be effective. He should be discharged. The exceptions are few. There is his only chance. Can you see that? Only when we are at a bottom will we finally look up. Take it all away so there's nothing for him to grasp onto but God himself. And then it says, and I'm going to drop it right down. Because this is the importance of time. Scoot down with me to that last sentence I read. We come together, those that were recovered. We think we are sensible when we urge that you stop Stop this waste and give your worthwhile man a chance. Does it not say it? Does it not say it in the book, working with others? Don't waste your time in here also. There are other people that are working alongside you, giving their best, earning a salary. Earning, I said. But that man, give that one a chance. There'll be another alcohol. I assure you. 
I assure you with no doubt in my voice, whether it be the workplace, the home, wherever it would be, there will be another. There will be a mother. Give them a chance if this one refuses. Perhaps, perhaps, letting them go, they will seek and find God. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share in these two paragraphs? Star one to unmute. It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you. Thank you. I'll just jump in here uh, on this one sentence. Uh, it will permit. It will permit the rehabilitation of good men. And the sentence before that, of course, we think this method of, of approach will po- accomplish several things that will permit the rehabilitation of good men. What is rehabilitation? Rehabilitation means recovery, restoration, becoming rehabilitated or restored to a former capacity, reputation, or state of being. You know, that's, that's what the program of recovery allows. Recovery is more than just the mere elimination of alcohol. It is a restored life. It is a rehabilitated life. Life. It's a reordered life. It's a renewed life. Um, it, it's it's the ability to be reborn, not in body, obviously, but in mind. You know, in personality, we have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And how is that possible? That's possible through a spiritual awakening, a personality change. What is a personality? A personality is made up of my outlook, my ideas, my emotions, my view upon life. Well, because of this program of recovery and the implementation of these steps, our personality transforms from a self-centered existence a selfish existence, an inconsiderate existence, a dishonest existence, an unpredictable existence, a lack of integrity type of existence, an irresponsible, unreliable existence, inconsistent existence. It's all self-centered to a God-centered existence where we can be governed by principles. So it will permit the rehabilitation of good men. That's why AA grew by leaps and bounds. Primary two reasons. One, people got sober, they stayed sober. And number two, families were reunited. And these men and these women became productive citizens. Sometimes for the first times in their life, they were now productive citizens and able to contribute to society and able to contribute in the workplace. You know, it's incredible when this book was, you know, off the press in 1939. I mean, alcoholism, you know, first of all, it was a taboo topic, and people were just dying or being locked up in insane asylums, never to see the light of day. These pages offered an opportunity to rehabilitate these men and women. In fact, in the beginning, as you know, uh, in doctor's opinion, it talks about people not even recognizing former patients because of the transformation. They are, they are reborn. 
The 12 steps are designed for living. They're a set of principles that tell a human being like us how we should live. And if we can live by these principles, we will be rehabilitated, we will be transformed, we will be peaceful, we will be content, we will be useful, and we will be free from the things that used to enslave us like alcoholism, like compulsive overeating, and made our lives miserable. And we have the opportunity to do that. We have that choice because God has given us free will to accept or reject that choice. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on this? This is Christy. Good morning, Christy. Please share. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Christy, a recovered compulsive overeater, and I like this, um, this sentence here. We hope our suggestions will help you plug up this sometimes seriously or serious leak. Um, you know, we think we are sensible when we urge you to stop this waste and give your worthwhile man a chance. And, you know, for me, um, the reality of my addiction is that as an employee, you know, nobody wanted what I had. Nobody wanted what I had unless they wanted candy in the candy dish I kept at my desk, and that was pretty much it. Um, you know, I was someone who you tried to do as little as possible and not get found out. You know, let me let me just stay below the radar screen, um, and and sit at my desk and worry that people were out to get me. You know, that was the type of employee I was. That was the best I could give. That was the best I I was going to do for you. I was not going to try to solve problems, which is what most business you know most businesses want people who can solve problems. And, uh, you know, you know, contribute to the bottom line, which is to make money, you know, whatever that means. And that, that was not the type of employee I was. And so for me, you know, when I, you know, put down the, the bag and the vat and got out of the trough of food that I was in and consumed with and had consumed my life and had me by the throat, I didn't change, you know. I mean, I, my first date of abstinence happened to be on a Sunday. And then the next Monday, I, did, I was not transformed. I was not a changed person. You know, maybe I threw out the candy in my candy dish because that's a little too tempting for someone with barely a day of abstinence. But, you know, the transformation didn't happen until I began applying the principles in the big book into my daily affairs. And my sponsor gave me very wise advice and said, go to work and be of service. And that's what I did. How could I do that? I mean, I had to talk to people who had recovered from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body and say, you know, I think people at work are out to get me. Here's the situation. What do you think? And people who could be completely objective would say things like, I think they're just, um, they just want you to perform, you know, the task that they hired you to do. That's what I think when I listen to what you're telling me. Uh, you know, and those, you know, the same people told me things like, you know, let's, let's find a way for Christy to work through the discomfort of being at work instead of quit your job and go work somewhere else. I mean, that just wasn't, I mean, people just taught me, you know, let's work through the discomfort of whatever's going on at work 
so that you can be a model employee. And that didn't mean that sometimes I was in a situation that wasn't right for me, but, but I didn't just make those snap decisions. You know, I did that through the guidance of other people. And I will tell you that my employer, my employer, and, and certainly it wasn't me, you know, it was finding a power greater than myself. It was having a sponsor and other people on this road of happy destiny help me, guide me, teach me, walk me through that have completely transformed me as an employee, completely transformed me as an employee, not just a person who sits in 12-step rooms, but as an employee, and of course a sister, and a partner, and a friend, and a daughter. Um, you know, I, I uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I did not do any of this on my own. I did not do any of this on my own. And thank goodness, I mean, I, in active addiction, was let go from the company um, and came to recover after having been laid off for months, for months, months. And um, I will tell you, you know, since that time, unfortunately, I've been laid off again. What was different is that I was picked up immediately. And, um, you know, I have, regardless of what has happened at my job, I have walked through it with the grace that the program has given me. No matter what the situation at work, I've walked through it with the grace that the principles of the program have given me. And, and doing that, being a person in recovery, cannot help but be beneficial for my employer. I know it is because that's the feedback I get from my employer. Thank you so much. Thank you for noticing this. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you for working well with others. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, today I just sit here and just am so awestruck by the miracle that has happened in my life. I just, I, I can't, I wish I could put it into words and describe it better than I can. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And Esther, would you read, please? Good morning. My name is Esther, and I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. The other day, an approach was made to the vice president of a large industrial concern. He remarked, I'm mighty glad you fellows got over your drinking, but the policy of this company is not to interfere with the habits of our employees. If a man drinks so much that his job suffers, we fire him. I don't see how you could be of any help to us, for as you see, we don't have any alcoholic problem. This same company spends millions for research every year. Their cost of production is figured to a fine decimal point. They have recreational facilities. There is company insurance. There is real interest, both humanitarian and business, in the well-being of employees. But alcoholism, well, they just don't believe they have it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, my name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater. So in this paragraph, it's describing an employer who has a commonly held belief, and that is that a person's drinking or compulsive overeating is, is you know, their own habit you know, good or bad, that they need to take care of and that has really no connection to their um, performance at work. And it's no surprise that many people believe this to be true because I, as a compulsive overeater, thought the exact same thing. What does my eating have to do with anything else other than the fact that I'm fat? I mean, what does it have to do with my family? What does it have to do with my work? What does it have to do with my relationships, my community? Nothing. And, of course, once we um, we are in recovery and if we've recovered and if we've done a, a a good first step where we had a, a look at, uh, you know, our e eating habits and how our disease has affected every area of our lives. 
um, we realized that compulsive overeating is not just about being fat and maybe having to spend more money on clothes and bigger sizes when, uh, you know, this disease is not just a, a physical disease. This is a, 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 a spiritual disease, and it necessarily will affect every area of my life, including and especially, you know, with my family and at work, and that as a an alcoholic or a compulsive eating uh, employee, I'm, I'm, I'm not only, you know, working at half capacity because I'm large, but I'm, I'm often in collision with, with, you know, people at work and, and making decisions, you know, based on self-will and, and just really not giving my all to the people that I work for. So this paragraph is, you know, showing us that there's, uh, you know, some employers who don't see the effects of alcoholism on a company um, you know, they're out there to, to be helpful to all their employees wherever they can, but they don't, again, believe that alcoholism is a problem that's affecting their company and that and if uh, someone were to drink or couldn't do their job in, in some way, perhaps if someone were compulsive, eating compulsively and they were too heavy to do whatever it is their job was, so they fire them. But that, that, that it's not a, you know, that a compulsive eating problem is not in and of itself an issue unless, you know, um, you know, unless specifically their weight would would somehow you know uh, um, diminish the quality of their work, they don't see that that the spiritual part of the disease could also you know render an employee ineffective or or um, a problem in the workplace. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Well, this is Monica, and I'd like to share on this paragraph. Um, Again, here we are back in the 1930s when this book came out. And I'm thinking, you know, back then uh, it wasn't understood or known that alcoholism was a disease. It was considered a moral issue. You know, you were you were um, weak-willed, you were weak, you were, you know, it was, you were bad, you were a sinner, but uh, they didn't realize it was a disease, and it sort of sounds like this is where this vice president is coming from, you know, that, uh, the, but the policy of this company is not to interfere with the habits of our employees. If a man drinks so much that his job suffers, we fire him. And so, you know, this is a lack of knowledge here. Um, He doesn't understand. He doesn't have the information that alcoholism is a disease and that it is there, it is very real, but there's something that can be done about it. And, um, you know, he's like the elephant in the room here or the ostrich hiding his head in the sand. Um, He's just not understanding. And with that, I'm going to pass. And would it would let anyone else like to share on this? Hi, this is Debbie. Can I share? Good morning, Debbie. Please share. Thank you. Um, I really love these readings. Um, I, from my own perspective, uh, I know that I'm not productive at work when I'm in the food. I, I just want to hide. You know, I mean, there are days when um, I have so much work to do, and yet I, you know, I, I I sit around and, you know, read emails, or I, you know, I spend um, 
my time working on things that are really not high priority. And um, so from my perspective, the disease certainly affects my my work ethic. Um, I've recently, um, because, it, because, it, because it affects my emotions, you know, I get depressed, I get, you know, I get um, kind of self-pitying, um, and I start to feel like, you know, my job owes me something, and, you know, they work me too hard, and, you know, if it weren't for the job, then, you know, I might be happy, or, you know, and it, it just kind of spirals into this twisted thinking, you know, um, they don't owe me anything, you know, my boss, if, if he did come up to me and say, you know, we, we know you have a problem with food and we want to help you, I would be shocked. Um, and, and, and he, and, and I, I, quite frankly, I think he might have his own kind of, um, addictions or problems that, that he doesn't even see that I'm not being productive. So um, I, I totally can relate to this, this um, paragraph and to, the, to the whole, all of the readings and all the sharing. Um, and with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. And let's move on to the next paragraph. And Hoodie, could you please read that? Hi, this is Hoodie. Good morning, Monica. Um, Hoodie Composable Reader. Of course. Perhaps. Perhaps this is a typical attitude. Yeah. Per okay, sorry. Perhaps this is a typical attitude. We who have collectively seen a great deal of business life, at least from the al alcoholic angle, had to smile at this gentleman's sincere opinion. He might be shocked if he knew how much alcoholism is costing his organization a year. That company may harbor many actual or potential alcoholics. We believe that managers of large enterprises often have little idea how prevalent this problem is. Even if you feel your organization has no alcoholic problem, it may pay to take another look down the line. You may make some interesting discoveries. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Hoodie. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? This is Paula Mashia. Go ahead, Paula. Oh, this is absolutely, well, I don't know what to say, because we have so all lived it. The alcoholic themselves. The alcoholics themselves not seeing the ramifications of the disease. And I keep thinking about that, that man coming out after the storm. And I think that businessman is just the same. Hey, we're going to look. I don't see anything. Yep. It stopped. It stopped. But look at the effects. But I'm going to go right down and scoot down to that last line. I love the way they put this. You may make some interesting discoveries to discover, to see that it's all about you. But you never saw it, for you didn't want to see it. Is not that it always, whether it be the alcoholic or the people, well, I don't want to, well, we don't want to label them a compulsive overeater. Oh, they just have a little problem with food, a little problem. 
that's taken them far longer than what they wanted to have it. We're not talking about, as was said yesterday, that starts most people with child starts in their childhood. Not all, but some. But this part here, interesting. I love the usage of that word. You may make some interesting discoveries. Look about you. Nobody has to tell you. Finally, you finally look about and say, well, maybe, could it be? Is this what I really see? Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Mrs. Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. I'll focus in on this statement here. He might be shocked if he knew how much alcoholism is costing his organization. I mean, I can take a trip down memory lane, and I remember being employed. Uh, you know, this was close to the end of my career of uh, as an active compulsive overeater, and I would start my day a little extra early to make sure I had time on my way to work to stop off for a few binges uh, through the local drive throughs and also to uh, put some inventory in my large coach bag um, and then show up at work. So I was already, uh, you know, loaded up from, uh, <laughs> from, from an hour's worth of binging uh, before I even got to work. And then I had this, like I said, this large pouch that I would put under my desk and just constantly feed myself throughout the day, just like uh, an intravenous line uh, of heroin streaming into my vein. <laughs> you know, so he might be shocked if he knew how much alcoholism is is costing his organization. I mean, I had lethargy, I had fatigue, uh, my heart, my personal hygiene was uh, in the dumps. I had about two things I could fit into. Uh, I wasn't really taking care of myself at that time. So the lowered productivity, you know, my frequent absenteeism, uh, my my lack of quality uh, of job performance, my inability to focus. Um, my inability to really truly be in harmony with my colleagues and my coworkers, uh, these conflicts that would kind of come up, and I would just stuff my, you know, my continue to stuff my face, not not meeting deadline, not being attentive to my clients, um, not able to produce the what I was expected to do. You know, I had no focus. I was crying tears of broken dreams. I I almost had no marriage. I had no hope. I had no hope. You know, I was obsessively pursuing feeling good through the contents of those bags and boxes, no matter how bad it made me feel. And as irrational as that sounds, that is the course of our disease. That is the course of our disease. Now, it was soon thereafter that I marched myself into my boss's office and let her know that I was going to take a leave of absence in order to deal with this disease I had called compulsive overeating. So I do have a before and after picture because when I, re when I came back to that same place of employment months later, you know what? I was governed by principles. I was governed by principles. I was practicing what it meant to be an employee of integrity, what it meant to have a strong work ethic, what it meant to be honest, practicing how to cooperate with my colleagues, practicing how to uh, listen to the instructions of my superiors, 
practicing being a partner, practicing being in the middle of the herd, practicing being a worker among workers, practicing patience, practicing understanding, practicing, um, you, you know, being able to tap into perhaps some of these strengths and talents that had been buried under uh, so much uh, boxes and bags and pints and containers and forks and knives and spoons and, and the weight of the disease. You know, so when it says he might be shocked if he knew much of how much alcoholism is costing his organization, I can speak from experience, uh, having lived through that, that, uh, you know, we cost, we cost, this disease costs uh, in and out of the workplace. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Okay, let's move on. And Robin, would you finish this chapter, please, the next three um, paragraphs? Sure, I will. This is Robin, <clears throat> a recovered compulsive overeater in Minnesota. Of course, this chapter refers to alcoholics, sick people, deranged men. What our friend, the vice president, had in mind was the habitual or whoopee drinker. As to them, his policy is undoubtedly sound, but he did not distinguish between such people and the alcoholic. It is not to be expected that an alcoholic employee will receive a disproportionate amount of time and attention. He should not be made a favorite. The right kind of man, the kind who recovers, will not want this sort of thing. He will not impose. Far from it, he will work like the devil and thank you to his dying day. Today I own a little company. There are two alcoholic employees who produce as much as five normal salesmen. But why not? They have a new attitude and they have been saved from a living death. I have enjoyed every moment spent in getting them straightened out. <clears throat> well, here we are at the end of the chapter. This chapter was written by our founders to educate the outside world about our disease and what can be expected from us as we um, as we travel this road. Um, the good news is that we clean up really well. The good news is that um, as we get well, we are pretty good producers. I mean, when I think back, and I know so many people now in recovery too, I've watched people um, who have become the most amazing specimens. <laughs> and I've seen it in myself, too. When I think back about the amount of time that I would spend um, focusing on my food and at the same time producing something, taking care of a family, working out in the world, um, I, I was still able to produce. And it's just that I had no idea that it was a fraction of my potential. And when we clean up, all of a sudden we find out what our potential really is. And the reason for this, for me, is because I have a higher power. The reason for this is because um, with my surrender on day one, I allowed my higher power to come in and clean me up. And... <clears throat> It, it's it's just it, it is incredible to me how much uh, potential we have. Um, we can work at full capacity. We have an unlimited capacity for love and empathy. As my higher power flows through me out into the world, I become a much better person. 
And that's, that is the hope that this chapter has for us as we draw this chapter to a close, that, um, you know, we can say to the outside world, we've cleaned up, we're coming out and joining you, and we're going to take our, our rightful place in the world as productive human beings instead of being, um, instead of being the, the people who uh, take advantage or take too much or take more than, than their share. We now can have the chance to become productive human beings in the world. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Would anyone else like to share on these paragraphs? This is Paula Mashia. Go ahead, Paula. I'm going to go right down to today because that's what he says. Today, I own a little company. There are two alcoholic employees who produce as much as five normal salesmen. But why not? They have a new attitude, and they have been saved from a living death. I have enjoyed every moment spent in getting them straightened out. This is what this man writes. That part, Dr. Bob's nightmare, may I share why he did what he did One, a sense of duty. It is a pleasure because in so doing, I am paying my debt to the man who took time to pass it on to me. Because every time I do it, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. And there it is. But that part, today I own a little company. But where was he before? Let me describe him on XXXI. His alcoholic problem was so complex and his depression so great that we felt his only hope would be through what we then called moral psychology. And we doubted if if even that would have any effect. This is the doctor's opinion written about this man. However, he did become sold on the ideas contained in this book. He has not had a drink for a great many years. I see him now and then. He is a fine specimen of manhood as one could wish to me. So there we see the yesterday, and here we see at the bottom of 149, today I own a little company. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that I do pass. Thank you, Paula. And would anyone else like to share on this? Star one to unmute. It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah, please. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you so much. Okay, so just this line uh, here, these couple lines. Uh, today I own a little company. There are two a- alcoholic employees who produce as much as five normal salesmen, but why not? They have a new attitude, and they have been saved from a living death. I mean, indeed, you know, this is these pages were penned by those men and women who recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. They had a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. You know, they were now able to do and to feel and to believe in ways that they couldn't do and feel and believe before. You know, they, of course they have a new attitude. That's exactly what happens through this program of recovery and these implementation of these steps is that, we are transformed and we're brought into harmony. You know, steps one, two, and three bring us in harmony with God, meaning in proper position. There is a God and I'm not it. Steps four through seven allow us to examine our minds and examine those attitudes and examine those ideas and examine those core belief systems that kept us enslaved. 
And through the implementation of steps four through seven, we're brought into harmony with our mind. And steps eight and nine, of course, allow us to be brought into harmony with other people. So, you know, this spiritual experience allows us to live with God's vision instead of our own limited vision, instead of self-will run riot. It says, but why not? They have a new attitude and they have been saved from a living death. I mean, people perhaps, you know, death isn't the greatest loss. How about the greatest loss being while you're dying inside while you're still alive? That you're dying inside while you're still alive. To me, that was the loss. You know, I merely existed. You know, that's, that's what ends up happening. We merely exist. We experience God when resistance stops. And God comes in through that wound. At least that was true for me. That pain was the greatest motivator to effectuate change. There's not a spiritual part of this program. The entire program is spiritual. We have been saved from a living death, and that has been created, and uh, it's been possible through this program of recovery. You know, it says on page 26, or I'm sorry, 28, it says, We in our turn sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. What seemed at first a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. A new life has been given us, or if you prefer, a design for living that really works. I mean, it certainly worked with these hundred men and women who had recovered. They became useful citizens, people who produce as much as five normal salesmen, and they were able to contribute to society and to their families, and they had been reborn. It was true then in 1939. It's true today on March 1, 2013. And it's possible for everyone who wishes to cooperate with their higher power. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And we have come to the end of our time here. I want to thank everyone who has shared. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Sharon, can you read a vision for you, please? Good morning. I certainly can, Monica. Thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you, Sharon. I will ask everyone now to press star 1 to unmute so we can say,